This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The Premier League is back and if you can't remember what was happening six weeks ago, it's okay because it's all basically the same. Arsenal are really good and being taken seriously by everyone who secretly still thinks Manchester City will win the league. Newcastle are really good. Eddie Howe is too and Miguel Almiron. Insert your own caveats about where the money comes from. Spurs are really good at doing nothing for at least 45 minutes. Everton are really not good and are in trouble. Darwin Nunes is good but also isn't good at the same time. Fulham are still better than you thought they were and Brighton just can't put it in the back of the net. No, that was that's the only thing that's changed. That was under Graham Potter. Hopefully the panel will add a few more adjectives to the above. Answer your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Lars Sivertson, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Hello, Paul. And hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. Uh, let's begin at the Emirates then. Uh, Arsenal are, what, seven points clear now at the top of the Premier League uh, to second place Newcastle after that 3-1 win over West Ham. And I wonder, Jordan, as an Arsenal fan, and I know you still are refusing to say they're in the title race, that was really impressive because at half-time at 1-0 down, even though you were playing quite well, you could imagine that would be the moment where everyone goes, OK, it was all a joke before the World Cup. You say that, but I'm, I'm not sure. I think we were playing well enough in that first half, Max, that I, I'd like to think, and the gentleman may disagree, but like to think that people would still think the goal's coming. They're playing well enough that even though they're 1-0 down, mm-hmm. I still have faith they can, they, they can and will turn this around. I wasn't at any point overly panicked. I think we were doing the right things well. Um, and yeah, I just think a half-time jolt from, from Mikel Arteta, again, I'd like to believe, was just keep doing what you're doing. The goal will come. Don't deviate. Don't panic. The, the, the goal will come. So I... There would have been a lot of people that were pre, pre-match thinking, OK, let's see how good this Arsenal team are. A, momentum has been, has been, um, has been halted by the World Cup and B, their, their star striker is now out. Let's see what you're made of. And I think Arsenal, albeit against the West Ham side that aren't amazing, I think, you know, it's, it's another tick for me. One nil down, what's going to happen here? And, and they turned it around, I think, quite convincingly. So I, I, I don't know if... People were at one nil down, panicking and thinking, "Oh yeah, okay, here, here we go." Because I wasn't, um, and I was, I was pleased with some of the goals. I thought Granit Xhaka was great. I know Odegaard got man of the match, but I thought the constant recycling of the of the ball when we had them penned in um, from Partey and Xhaka, I thought was really, really impressive. Just keeping that pressure on, keep creating chances. The goal will come. Eddie Nketiah, a lot of pressure. He's been under. 
Um, you know, I, I thought he was brilliant in, in that in that first half. Just didn't get a goal. Second half got his goal, and I think he's like the Sylvan Wiltord now for us now of this of this right. season. He's got to be the guy that comes in and gets those seven to ten goals that are crucial. And I think he got a big goal, a big goal yesterday that will be good for his confidence. So yeah, really good win for for the Arsenal. Um, and, and on we go. And, and I think John, you know, Jordan's right. They they play with such fluidity, and none more so than that in Ketia goal, which is just a beautiful goal, wasn't it? Yeah, that, I suppose that would be the highlight. But throughout that game, yeah, the player for me was actually Odegaard because it, it felt like every time the ball came to him, things were happening. His vision, plays with his head up, he's aware of the players around him. Now, I suppose when we were goal down, we'd be thinking, are they missing Gabriel Jesus? But of course, what we forgot maybe, or what I forgot, was that he hadn't scored for 10 goal games before this. Uh, and it isn't that isn't necessarily what he's brought to the team. Um, but Eddie Nketiah did a fair job, I would, I thought, of facsimileing uh, the Jesus effect of just chasing, harrying. The piece, the, I, I use this phrase because I actually went to Arteta's press conference in, in the week, uh, a yard dog. And I think Eddie Nketiah did that job. And um, I was delighted for him to score that goal because it was his first Premier League goal of the season, an awful lot of pressure. I did wonder whether Mikel Arteta would play him. Uh, in, in that game or whether he would decide to put one of uh, Saka and Martinelli and jiggle around and go go false nine or something like that. But Arsenal were excellent uh, and reminded us of just how good they've been this season. And I did think it was a shame that uh, when they were to down, I did think it, it would be a shame if that, that 14 games would suddenly just be cast aside and ha we're back with Arsenal. Though there was that Jonah figure that did appear in the stadium. <laughs> Arsene Wenger. And yeah. I did think as soon as he arrived, I thought, oh, here we go. You know, the master of uh, a, a, you know, a good start to a season and things coming apart. But no. Um, and the football they played at certain parts of that game would remind of almost peak Wenger. Um, they, were, they were absolutely brilliant, Arsenal. At what point, Lars, do they become... You know, we're now taking them seriously. <laughs> they're now in the race, right? Is that is, is that the official? Is that, is, that, is that what it is officially? They're not, they're not the favourites yet, are they? But like, I know we haven't really played. We only played a third of the season. They're, they're such an impressive team. Yeah, they, they really are. And I think what the lads have touched on, the lads, that's got very dressing room very early on. Uh, where, where, what the- it was an interesting moment before the game where we took all of Jordan's stuff out yeah. of his room and put it in the garden <laughs> and made it. But, but exactly how it had been placed in his room. And it was this incredible banter. Then we cut yeah, up What the lads touched on, I thought, was the <laughs> yeah. almost the eye-catching thing here is that even though they were 1-0 down at halftime, even though all the like the narrative cogs and the machinery were there to go, ooh, it's going to go wrong, at, at no point did you think they were going to lose that game. Like I was totally certain they were going to turn it around. Also, lads, it's West Ham. Because as, as, as much as West Ham have done a lot of good work under David Moyes, you know, finishing sixth, finishing seventh, that, that's good stuff. No one thought that was going to happen when uh, David Moyes came back to West Ham. I've looked at this. In their last two and a half seasons, away to so-called top six teams in the league, in the 2020-21 season, they had no wins, one draw, five defeats even though they finished sixth. The next season, 2021-2022, they had no wins, no draws, six defeats, despite of finishing seventh. So far this season, away to top six teams in the league, no wins, no draws, and four defeats. So in the last two and a half seasons, 15 defeats, one draw, and not a single win away to the top six teams in the league for, for West Ham. You know, that's that's that's... 
those kind of streaks that can be coincidence, but that's too much of a sample size, I think, for it to be a coincidence. I think they're just not getting these these games right. Yeah, Johansson says it's David Moyes, the most stubborn Scot since Mel Gibson. His refusal. <laughs> <laughs> I mainly put it in for that. His refusal to change tactics and starting 11 is surely going to cost him and or West Ham. On the subject of number 14s, uh, you know, not an insignificant number at Arsenal. Thierry Henry was doing the summarising and uh, Ian noticed this. And it's a, it's a very good spot. Probably not the only one to notice it. When um, Arsenal got that penalty, when Aaron Cressel headed it, at half-time, Thierry Henry said, someone should have told the ref that, that, that Cresswell headed that. He said, with his history, surely that is on a par with quasi Quarteng criticising the next budget for adding to the country's fiscal instability. Yeah, you would have loved, I mean, at the, at the moment, you know, I, I wouldn't probably have picked up on it had I been hosting that going, remember the Ireland game, mate? Did you, like, you could have possibly <laughs> said something. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, you wanted to make a point, Jordan. Just um, on, on Arsenal, I think as, as well as Arsenal played and it's a good reminder, it was a must win, a good reminder to not only the league but themselves that they are a good team. This team, for me, is not good enough to hold off City for the long haul. They have to, they have to bring in a couple of addis- additions for me. And I know that Madrid, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah. He's a brilliant player. He's an absolutely brilliant player. I don't know a lot about him, but it looks like that deal is going to be done very soon. But they have to reinforce the midfield as well. My only contribution on West Ham is Declan Rice. I know I'm probably the only person on the planet, Max, here, but I just don't see the player that everybody else sees. Oh, no. No, he is good. Oh, God. Oh, no, Jordan. Oh, no. This is Here one we of go those. Again. Oh, dear. <laughs> the hot takes have been served. It's like he's the second coming. I'm like, he's a good player, but I'm still waiting to see the player everyone else sees. I'm sorry. I just don't. The only thing I would say to that, Jordan, is you're Declan Rice, but, you know, if you, if you swap shirts in that game, everything he does is suddenly so much easier, right? He's, he's, he's lugging a team of, you know, West Ham aren't bad, but, like, if you put him in a good team, he would be, I think he would be sensational. You wanted to talk, uh, John, yeah? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, knowing a couple of West Ham fans, the, the talk is that Rice is off and they're, they're in that mindset. You know when players suddenly, they think the player's leaving, how much effort is he putting into this game and reading, reading body language in that way. I, I, I disagree with Jordan's diagnosis of Declan Rice. He's obviously a very, very talented player. Funny enough, I think with Declan Rice... Uh, he probably could be like the most Rolls Royce centre back still because of the way that the way that he is. But anyway, um, he didn't have a good game. I mean, John would be entitled to say that. That's true. Uh, last uh, quick one on Mudrick. He, I mean, he, he is a star, isn't he? Well, he's he's incredible. He's a star in the making. You know, he he. But but what I'm wondering, it's such an interesting balancing act for Arsenal because I don't disagree with what uh, the notorious JJB said about his about the squad depth. Right. Uh, I I definitely think this is the time to do something because they have a real shot at winning the league. But there are a couple of positions where they don't have a lot of depth. So so try to do something in January. But with Mudrick, you're going to spend a lot of player. Uh, uh, going to spend a lot of money on a player who's presumably going to come in and take Martinelli's place in the team because that's kind of where he would be. And you're not going to sign someone like him with that sort of profile and price tag without putting him straight in the team or without you know uh, he's being slotted to play every week. And, and is kicking young Martinelli out of the team the thing you should be doing right now? Question mark. I mean, but then again, signing good players is always good. I mean, we'll get, we'll get to this discussion when we come to Cody Gakpo later in this episode. It's one of those where they have to really think very carefully about what they're doing, Arteta and Edu, 
because it's a very it's working so well right now and 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 sometimes you know adding something good to something that's already good can uh, it can upset things a little bit Adding chips to spaghetti bolognese. So I'm saying. There, exactly. Um, uh, Leicester nil, Newcastle 3. I really thought this was going to be a tricky one for Newcastle, um, but it wasn't. I mean, at all. Jeff says, <laughs> considering they're second and we're a week away from the transfer window, and Newcastle now actual title contenders. Six on the spin they've won. Uh, seven points behind Arsenal. Chris said, while those Mackhams, Barry and Wilson are off, come on, talk about how good Newcastle are. Second in the league. Guy says, is Miguel Almiron the best player to have ever lived? And actually, Harvey asked a good question, I think, which is, where would you put Newcastle in terms of squad strength? And and how much are they punching above their weight, John? Because it's true, I still look at that squad and I think, what is that? Seventh, eighth most talented squad in the league, maybe? Yeah, you'd certainly say they're playing above themselves, but I suppose that doesn't account for the improvement in certain players. So Joe Linton obviously is the I suppose the key note of that because that that is not the Joe Linton we saw two years ago. Now there is some argument over whether he actually ever was a striker anyway, and uh, what Newcastle were doing trying to you know remake him the new Andy Cole or whatever. But he it it. it He's he's been brilliant. Almiron now Almiron uh, is Almiron the greatest ever graduate of MLS because you know into into Premier League football because he has been this season he's been absolutely sensational uh, and he's also become uh, something to beat Jack Grealish with. Uh, but yeah, you look through that team and there isn't and this is the thing that Newcastle fans will always point to, won't they? That okay, they've spent money. But Eddie Howe has improved players, and that has been the foundation behind them being so good. I suggest, though, Leicester were a little bit caught cold. Um, Brendan Rodgers and defending of set pieces and defending in general. Um, now, of course, the, their excellence in defending, because they had kept a good run of clean sheets before Christmas or before the World Cup. And Valt Feist, who didn't actually play much for Belgium at the World Cup, does appear to have been uh, as though he's under the tutelage of Roberto Martinez uh, in in some of his defending. There, there seems to be a lot of running past static Leicester players in that game, which 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 I thought because mm. um, Leicester were a crisis club, then they weren't a crisis club. So as much as we can talk about Newcastle, and, that, and actually it being a strange season, is there any reason why we why we would rule Newcastle out of a, a title challenge at this point? I don't think so. Um, do Leicester go back into the crisis club section? I would very much like to deploy my sort of uh, half sort of MLS nerdery here, please because, do uh, because John Bruin brings him up, and I think I think you're right to talk about him in those terms. The thing I would say about Miguel Almiron is there was a period around 2018 where you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to say it anyway, Atlanta United were one of the most fun teams to watch anywhere in the world. They were so good. And they were playing a very sort of high-pressing, everyone-get-forward-run-like-crazy type of style. And Almiron was just key to that. Uh, and, and I used to watch sit, sit up at night and watch them, not because I'm an idiot and, and, and have lifestyle issues, but because they were just amazing. And then Almiron left that team to go to Newcastle and has played a couple of years under the Benitez and then Steve Bruce Newcastle United team, where he basically never got the ball anywhere near the <laughs> opponent's goal ever, you know? There, there was just no attacking play happening. You know, any chance you want to score, you, you, you're going to have to make your, yourself. And 
in, instead of getting the ball, being fed the ball around the box a lot and having a lot of opportunities to affect the game, he kept like having to make these mad 40-yard dashes to try to get forward. And obviously, he's not going to put up the same kind of numbers and it's going to start affecting his confidence. What we're seeing this season is again, that Almiron, again, is playing in a team that's winning the ball high up the field, is committing a lot of men forwards, and he's just getting many chances to do stuff in and around the box. And it turns out, lo and behold, we're seeing something much closer to the player he was when he played in the similar team in, in MLS. Yeah, I think the people talk this, this season about Xhaka being one of the biggest turnarounds in Premier League history. I think Almiron's up there as well because I remember hands up for about 18 months thinking this guy would be the best player in the championship. I think he'd be the best player in the championship by much. I didn't think he was a Premier League player. So to see what he's doing right now, fair play in my Declan Rice take in two years' time could be one of the worst takes of all time, granted. But on Newcastle, I think John's point is also very true about the coaching that's happening there as well. They're going to buy players and they've got the money to do so. But let's not underestimate the job that Eddie Howe in coaching some of those players to get 20% 20% more out of them, I think, is contributing to how well they're doing this season. My lot Arsenal got them in a couple of weeks' time, which I think could be a really testing game for both teams in terms of where they finish this season. Just on Leicester briefly as well, I find Leicester a really weird side because whenever I watch them, they're never that bad. I look at them, I think, they're not, you're not that bad, but yet you keep seem to losing and then they got like a good run of four games and Leicester one they, they they are the the new Everton in that they just they shouldn't I don't know they they're an odd team and I just look at them and think to myself how are you in the bottom eight of the table but yet whenever I see you play you seem to be not mm. that bad it's weird yeah I, they didn't have a shot on target till the eighty second minute which is an issue I've got a suggestion on Leicester um you know this is okay we, we we've wondered what the effect of the World Cup was would be. And then we watched this day of football and realised that the World Cup had absolutely no effects on anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I wonder if Leicester are one of those teams that are affected by the World Cup. In that Faust went, didn't play. Madison went, didn't play. And it it could be that idea that they've been affected by the World Cup being, you know, not a particularly good experience for their players. Yeah, impossible. And Madison didn't play yesterday. I, I don't think. It, I don't think he was. He was. I presume he was just at the darts. And so, because <laughs> that's just whenever, whenever I, I the darts happens to be on, and I don't really watch it, but it's like on in the radio studio, whatever. It always cuts. It's a cutaway of James Madison. I, I did want to just mention the penalties. You say Leicester started cold, like Daniel Lamarty. It's just the biggest foul in the. But it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious, isn't it? Oh like, so like the idea, you know, play like. In any penalty, they complain. No, no, the defenders complain. But that one, they just went, mm, I did catch in there. Really, I really kicked Joe Linton quite hard. And, and and I guess this is where you'd have some sympathy with Brendan Rodgers. Like, you worked on stuff. You've maybe had one of those those midnight sandwiches like he had at Liverpool when he suddenly discovered how to... Anyway, long story. Uh, and, 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 and and you've gone into this game. Like, can we... We're going to start it on the right foot this second half of the season. And then after like two minutes, you concede like the dumbest penalty in human history. And a couple of minutes later, you concede a great goal to like red hot Miguel Almiron, who's unstoppable at the moment. And less than 10 minutes on the clock, you find yourself 2-0 down to a Newcastle team that hasn't lost in several years, it seems. And then you think, well, this isn't going to be a good boxing day, is it? No. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe, maybe he didn't say nothing silly first five. He just said nothing silly first two. So Daniel Amati looked at the clock and went, ah, it's the third minute. I can really, I can let myself go now. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Villa Park. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 3 then. A really open game. Both sides had loads of chances. Darwin Nunes had loads of chances. Green South says, I know Nunes has scored before. I've seen him do it. Why is it every time he shoots, I'm certain he'll miss? As I'm typing this, he literally missed again. Chris, could Darwin Nunes have scored Barry's header? It's a great question. Um, He's really important, Lars Nunes, to this team, isn't he? And he played well. And look, Liverpool Liverpool won. And it seems strange, I guess, to start with Darwin Nunes. But he was sort of the headline of this game. He, he was. I mean, I'm finding... <laughs> I'm, I'm finding myself having to go on the... Uh, go on the thesaurus.com to, to look for words here because it's like you I feel like we've said the word chaotic too many times we need to sort of mix it up a bit so I've got here other words for chaotic it's uh, disorganized I mean maybe turbulent that seems okay deranged that doesn't quite work uh rampageous that's a good one let's let's go with that the, the rampageous Darwin Nunes um, I like him. I think, I think he's very good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you say jokes about whether he'll ever score goals. I mean, he scored five goals in, in 10 games in the Premier League so far. I think it's just because he gets into yeah. a lot of positions and his finishing is um, inconsistent, uh, shall we say so. And he, he offers you so much in terms of uh, the hard work he does off the ball. He creates chances by his presence and all the movements he, he makes. If he puts away a tap-in at the far post, we, we don't have this conversation. He would talk about how much other great stuff he does. I, I, I think he's good. I think, as, and, and as again, if this, if this was in a team where you had no goals coming from anywhere else, it might be a bit of a problem. But you still have Mo effing Salah on the, on the flank who's going to score a ton of goals for you. You, you have other good wide forwards in, in the group, uh, adding adding yet another one as well now with the transfer news happening. And I think having him as a sort of super sort of mobile, hardworking focal point up front, I think it's good. I like it. On Darwin, uh, Max, I was lucky enough last season to see two, well, the, the both legs of the Benfica ties against Liverpool. And I saw him kind of live and up front. And I remember seeing him a lot of talk about this Darwin Nunes guy, Darwin Nunes. Okay, I've heard a little bit about him. I'm going to see him up front and up close and see how good this guy really is. And I remember walking away from both the fixtures thinking, he's a good player. Um, For someone that's very tall, very big, he's very quick on the ball, takes up very good positions. But I wasn't blown away. I wasn't like, yeah, that's the guy. That's the next hot guy in Europe to go and sign. I thought, good player, but not great. And what I'm seeing from him now is, and this might sound very, very mean, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry for it being so mean, but I get Lukaku vibes from him in that I think he'll score goals, but I think he's going to miss a lot of chances as well. I'm not sure he's the guy that 
was sold to me by the experts and by fellow fans that watched him about a year ago. I don't see that guy that is in the same category or could be as a hard. Hard to please, aren't you? Well, I'm just, I'm just being honest. I think he's a good striker, but I just don't see the guy that everybody told me, this is the next hot striker. And you, I just don't see that guy. Producer Joel says he's only 23. He reasonably gets so many chances and there aren't enough fun, chaotic players about, so we should just embrace it. I mean, at the game itself, John, I was really quite open, wasn't it? Villa really contributed to this game and it sort of started incredibly... So it felt like the first five minutes it was sort of extra time or whatever. <laughs> just chances everywhere. Again, we'd learned nothing because we we did, we found that Liverpool are quite vulnerable uh, in defence, even with... Uh, I mean, Virgil van Dijk scored uh, actually a, a very nice goal, but Defensively, I'm still not sure uh, about the great Virgil van Dijk this season. Um, and, uh, of course, Trent is in the team. Let's cast that aside for a, a debate another day. Um, but I did think that if Villa had slightly better functioning forwards, uh, they might have got a bit more out of that game. Leon Bailey, there's a frustrating player. Mm. Talented, but... Mm, yeah, he makes Darwin Nunes look like Mo Salah, really, doesn't he? Um, and um, and Ollie Watkins did score, but again, I mean, I think Ollie Watkins. I've seen him play a couple of times in the flesh, and I think he's obviously a very talented player. And I call you can see he causes defenders problems. But again, if there was a bit more of a cutting edge, he would be a serious serious proposition. I think if Villa got forwards, there's a lot within that team. And I think Liverpool were not that comfortable in that game. Uh, and and that's because of the defensive problems. But I suppose playing against Darwin Nunes must be quite difficult because no one's got a clue what's going to happen there, have they? Before we get angry Liverpool fans in the comments rightly pointing out, we should be a little bit more complimentary about some of the stuff they were doing, I thought, because... The, the, the first goal was amazing, right? I mean, just the, the just the share quality yeah, so involved good. in the first goal, and and there's some of the passing movements they put together were were super impressive, but it was also one of those games. I think we've all had the feeling uh, over over Boxing Day, and now is that you're sort of just trying to f- f- go through your brain, like where were we with those teams? Who were good? Who were bad? What's actually happening? And this was kind of a good game. So this is exactly what Liverpool were in the first half of the season. They're a team who at times are absolutely magnificent going forward and can, can put together some moves that are just, you know, right up there with the very best in the world right now. But they are a little bit unreliable down the other end and they weren't fully punished by Villa as they could have been. But uh, they do probably need to, to tighten up and that's I'm sure Jürgen Klopp is very, very aware of that. Jim says Trent getting it launched with the outside of his foot for Liverpool's first. Surely the greatest way to score a goal. I just don't think that can be classed under the getting it launched. No. <laughs> no, everyone's shaking their heads. Um, Elliot says, in his Villa career to date, Robin Olsen has conceded goals at a rate of one every 23 minutes. Have the panel ever been certain they can do their job despite evidence to the contrary? I've never really noticed if Robin Olsen was good or not good, if I'm if I'm being honest. And, and uh, Ben Doak came on for Liverpool, uh, born on the 11th of November 2005. You raise me up by Westlife. Uh, was number one. Uh, Robin says, Gakpo to Liverpool, good or great transfer? Uh, PSV and Liverpool have agreed on a proposed transfer of Cody Gakpo. This is from PSV's Twitter. Uh, The 23-year-old attacker will leave for England imminently, uh, where he will be subjected to the necessary formalities. God, it sounds quite brutal, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Ahead of the completion of the transfer. Uh, uh, Lars, I mean, look, 
a lot of people who dip in and out of European football probably don't watch the Eredivisie, but have seen, you know, watched him at the World Cup, right? He's a he's an excellent player, Cody Gakpo. Yeah, I'm going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend I watch the Eredivisie uh, every weekend. That's clearly not true, but I, I, I do. If anyone could pretend it, it would be you. I would say no. Well, yeah, I, I pick up the occasional game and I've watched them in the Europa League a couple of games. Um, he, he is a sort of left-sided uh, attacking player. Plays mostly on the left wing, but. He's, he's young enough that you could feasibly mold him into a slightly into something else. Uh, people will get distracted by his height. He's quite tall, but he isn't a, a, a big, you know, big physical player. He doesn't use that frame very much. Uh, he is a sort of typical left-sided uh, attacking for, uh, winger who likes to cut in and use his right foot. He strikes the ball very cleanly, uh, both in terms of shots and in terms of crosses. I, I really, I, he's a very good player. The, the only question I would ask is. When everyone's fit, do you look at this Liverpool team and think what we really need to spend a lot of money on right now is a left-sided, uh, right-footed attacker? This is like, I feel like that's, you know, you, you've re-signed Mo Salah. He's going to play every game he can walk on the right. And you've spent a pile of money on Darwin Nunes. So the plan is for him to be your first choice up front for the foreseeable. And then you kind of have uh, Diaz and uh, Diogo Jota uh, fighting it out for minutes on the on the left wing. And that sort of looks pretty... Pretty balanced, uh, and then you bring in another big, big money player in that position. You've, you've, in the last eighteen months, you've spent quite a lot of money on Jota and, and Diaz. Sorry, Lars, but I think your earlier point answers that question. I, I think they will mold him into a centre forward. I think they'll move on Firmino and Jota in the summer, um, and I think yeah. he'll be the backup to to Nunes, if you like. I, that, I mean, I've seen. <sighs> You're changing a lot about the way he plays. Again, don't let the height fool you. He definitely isn't a sort of physical focal point kind of guy. Uh, you have to change a lot about how he plays football. And I think spending, what, 50 million or something on a guy to ask him to do something completely different to what he's done previously in his career is kind of slightly strange behavior. It's possible they'll do that. But uh, for me, it suggests more that I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some... I mean, they know more about the injuries to Diaz and or Jota than we do. Maybe the health situation there is more more serious than, than previously assumed. Gav says, given Spurs' performance today, and bearing in mind I'm still listening to pre-World Cup episodes of the pod, is it necessary to record any new Spurs material? <laughs> um, I think Spurs are silly, Lars, aren't they? Nine games in a row where they've conceded the first goal. I actually thought on this one that they were going to change their tactics to be bad first half and bad second half. They just took a bit more time in the second half to get going. But it was it was just sort of, it was vintage. They didn't really do anything. They did get a point they could have won, but I don't really know what to say about them anymore. I don't know how many times we can get away with saying the same thing over and over again, but it is... It does seem that their plan is to sort of keep it tight, don't take any risks in the first half, and then sort of turn the screw in the second, you know, increase the tempo, win the game in the second half. But that plan is just constantly undermined by the fact that, you know, nothing stupid first 45. They're not capable of that. There's too much stupidity. You know, they're, 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 they're just not, they're, you know, I this idea of just them sort of keeping it tight for a while... They can't do it. They're not keeping it tight. They, they they always inevitably concede goals, often quite stupid goals, and then they have to go on the front foot. And lo and behold, when they do go on the front foot, they look much better uh, for, for doing so. 
I mean, this is a totally meaningless stat, I guess, but I've looked at, like, what would the table be if only the second half counted? <laughs> you know, if, if, if the, the league table of only things that happened between the 46th and 90th minute. Tottenham are top of that table. <laughs> <laughs> in, 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 just six, in just second halves, they've won 11, drawn two, and, and lost three. So they, they'd, be, they'd be in front of Arsenal and Man City, who, of course, haven't always had to win the second half because they're frequently well in the lead by then. It's. I don't think it's now. Like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and mansplain football to Antonio Conte. That would be ridiculous. You know, Conte believes in this way of approaching the games. It's very difficult to do this sort of nothing stupid first 45 when you have defenders who do quite as many stupid things as Tottenham have. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, Eric's. Eric Dyer's shin to give away the corner is probably the high point of the day. It's utterly tremendous. There's, a, there's another thing about it, and I speak from a kind of Spurs supporting um, uh, position, which is it's actually not enjoyable. This can't, you know, like because because even if you do end up winning, you basically just spend like four, you know, you're texting your. I'm texting my dad and I'm going, oh, this is a grind again, isn't it? There's no, like, you know, like, like so when you, even if you do get something, you sort of think the best way to win a game is to be 2-0 down and win 3-2. But actually, it would be really nice to just go from the start, Jordan. With that grinding of a point or even an eventual win will translate to the players and they will after a while start thinking, this is, this is just not, this is not cool. Um, and even wins won't feel like wins. I remember Conte's latter period at Chelsea it went sour really quickly, but the whole adage is that you know Jose had it as well. When you're when you're playing crap, but you're winning games and therefore titles, you can tolerate it for a little while. But Tottenham are even winning trophies at the moment to kind of get to get through and pacify the kind of grinding football. So I just wonder how long the players will kind of be like this. This is just not this is not the way we want to play football. They've got some good players. They've got some good attacking players there. And we're just not seeing it. I just I get why Conte plays the way he plays. But equally, I, I, I think if he's not careful, he will lose those players very soon. Uh, uh, we doff our cap to Robin Cowan. Uh, as Mark said, Robin Cowan just dropped Get It Launched into the commentary. <laughs> yes. Definitely done for the pod fans. George said she sounded she sounded anti-Get It Launched. We'll need to get her official stance. We will next time she's on. And Brentford, Brentford don't just get it launched, John, but they do quite often get it launched to Ivan Tony, who is, I mean, absolute... He's so good at that job, isn't he? Just he's he he's so strong, and then he's got the skill as well to bring the ball down and bring others into play. Yeah, and obviously a good finisher as well. Um, yeah, uh, Ivan Tony, uh, well, a player I suspect we'll be talking about in a little more detail for different reasons. But there's no doubting his talent. There's no doubting he's worth to Brentford, I should say. And should those uh, difficulties go against him? Brentford are going to miss him. Um, can we talk about the dive? Uh, Mbwemo's dive, yeah, of course. I mean, wow. I mean, that, it's, that's got to be dive of the season, hasn't it? I mean, you know. Well, I, the only mitigating circumstances is he sort of laughed himself very soon after doing it. It wasn't like he dived and went down like he'd been sh- Like he knew straight away. So actually, that maybe that's worse. Then he can't even. He didn't even have the courage of his convictions in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, it looked hilarious. It really did look hilarious. Yeah. It does look hilarious. What I just want to say is that people, players, do that more often. We think, but just usually they do manage to get a little bit of contact, and then everybody says, "Oh well, it's contact. It's a foul." Uh, yeah, a, yeah. A, a ton of penalties. If you look very closely at the players' actual movements, it's very clear that they've decided to fall down. 
<laughs> that's what that's what players tend to do. It mm. just and then move their leg into, and it's actually quite hard not to hit Fraser Forster, isn't it? If you think about yeah, it, yeah, it's just what what what's basically done him here is that Forster manages to stop his momentum in time so that he just about doesn't touch him, uh, and it ends up looking really stupid. I found the uh, probably not important part of this game, but the the sort of shadow and the sun just with an early mm. kickoff. I just don't think Brentford should be allowed to have early kickoffs. It wasn't very flattering for their groundsmen. No, it did look really bobbly, uh, yeah, that, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It looked like they'd held the horse of the year show <laughs> over Christmas or something. Anyway, uh, there we go. We'll repeat that Spurs chat uh, after every Spurs game uh, for the rest of the season. Um, crisis Club Everton. Um, uh, they, they lost uh, 2-1 at home to Wolves. Michael says, is a heartbreaking last minute loss to the bottom side all the proof we need that Frank Lampard just gets Everton? Autumn <laughs> uh, Florek, which was sad, which was the sadder violin, the small one playing for Frank Lampard or the one played by Max's neighbour? Yeah, like, you know, my flat in London, the, my neighbour has been learning the violin for about three years, you know, and I'm away from this quite a lot and you just think he'd improve and also like 9.45 in the evening is too late to be playing the violin badly in my book. I actually thought, Lars, that Everton had the chances to win this game and they were slightly unlucky. Again, I, I, I really... I, <laughs> it's become the season of repeating yourself, but like, yeah, Everton, my ex, they worked really hard. They had some chances. They didn't take them <laughs> and they, they conceded goals. Uh, and I, I kind of... I kind of... Ah, it's really hard to get the words out. I kind of feel for Frank Lampard a little bit here. I didn't think they were dreadful, but you are coming out of this big World Cup break. You're you're not in a great place in the table. You know, things are a little bit uncertain and you're playing the bottom team at home. You really need to not lose that game. And, And the chances that were had were not taken. And listen, I'm not saying they played super well, but they weren't abysmal, but by any means... It's just, it's just not quite happening for them. And th- there was, a, there was a sort of little detail in. It was Andy Hunter's post uh, match report on the on the Big Guardian website about how they started with a front three of Dwight McNeil, Neil Mopé, and Anthony Gordner, and that was, uh, you know, a, a, a front three fit for a relegation fight. But I'm just didn't think, yeah, you paid quite a lot of money for Dwight McNeil. You've also just fairly recently signed Neil Mopé for 15 million, which isn't nothing when you're a bottom half team. And you rejected what forty million for 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 Anthony Gordon. So, you know this is a front three that's it's it's not nothing. You know what you what you you're dealing with here. But it, but it's clear that they have they do lack a little bit of cutting edge up front and a little bit of creativity in midfield. It it does it does appear that way. Uh, it took Frank Lampard seventy five minutes to speak to the press. So any sympathy you did have for him, it it wouldn't have had it if you were one of those journalists waiting last an hour, more than an hour. To hear Frank Lampard say, yeah, we're a bit unlucky, I would have gone home. I'd have said to my editor, I am not staying for this. We're not going to get... He said, uh, they were desperately unlucky to lose. He always knew this year was going to be tough. They've won one in eight. Uh, they play Man City on Saturday, Jordan. They they will stick with him, won't they? I think they will. Um, I, I can't work out who's failing who there because whilst Everton have been a bit of a nothing club for a long time now, I don't particularly rate Frank Lampard either. So I, 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 I don't know if Everton are actually not doing what they need to do to help Frank Lampard succeed or if he's just not good enough for that particular job. The squad isn't particularly great. It's okay. 
but come on, you, you're losing. I, I agree with you, Max. They, they weren't they weren't bad, but when you're losing at home to Wolves, that that that's not a good look. And but I think they will stick with him. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about this report, actually, uh, I did like the fact that he described Frank Lampard as looking physically ill when I. Eric Nori turned Traore's cross in for the yeah. goal, which I think is a great description. Um, I, I just wanted to make a point about Julian Lopetegui, of course. Uh, you know, Please do. Um, impressively tight trousers for Boxing Day, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> and I was saying there's a man of confidence and uh, you know, made sure of his dietary supplements on, on Christmas Day. I thought, that when he was jumping around, I thought those could go at any point, man. You know, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, I did want to say, did we see anything different from Wolves? <laughs> Very but, tight know, trousers. We saw something different from his from his trousers. But they, they did they did look good on the attack, as to be said. Yeah, and he's a, he's a yeah. manager. Um, of course, Lars is the oracle here. He's a, he's a manager of of considerable reputation. Uh, though we probably know him best for the for that Spain Madrid mix up of a few years ago. But there's no doubt that he he, he is a manager. Uh, Probably of a higher class than uh, they've had. Um, so, and he's actually the manager they wanted at the very start of their experiment. Yeah. They needed to win as well, if you think about it. So, g- good stuff, good start for him. Uh, but yeah, if I was Andy and I'd had to wait seventy-five minutes, <laughs> I would not be. I would not be happy. It does make the bottom of the table utterly fascinating. We'll do, um, you know, the Southampton's defeat in part three. But you know, Southampton are bottom on twelve. And what Crystal Palace at eleventh on nineteen. I mean, if Brentford only got a point more than them, I'm going ruling Chelsea out of a relegation dogfight, perhaps unwisely. But like, it's so tight. So hopefully, it stays that tight for the rest of the season. Anyway, that'll do for uh, part two. Part three will begin uh, with Fulham's win at Crystal Palace. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Palace nil, Fulham three. Fulham are good, Lars, aren't they? Fulham good. Um, definitely helps yes. when your opponents get two players sent off. I mean, that's, that's yes, <laughs> does make a difference. It, it, it does, but but no, they're good. Mitrovic is back in sort of uh, picked up where he left off in uh, in in terms of just being a being in menace. Tim Ream scoring a goal, and Tim, what a kit as well. I guess. Uh, again, the, the sartorial stuff, Max, I don't have much to, to add. No, no, a hit. What a hit. <laughs> what a kit. I'm like, well, it's the Fulham, it's the Fulham shirt. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just about? a Fulham kit. Uh, I'm no, indifferent to the kit. It was great. a great strike. It was, it was it? a great strike by Tim Ream. And if you're Tim Ream, surely there's a moment where you worry that the clock will strike midnight and Tim Ream will immediately transform <laughs> into a pumpkin or, or something. Like what has happened to or this guy? Or just back into Tim Ream. I'm hoping basically. someone who is a who's a you know a good journalist who who works on the Fulham beat can have a big interview with Tim Ream and ask him. Mate, what happened? Because he looked so good. Uh, not just obviously scoring the goal, but he also looked really good playing for the US in uh, in the World Cup, I thought. And I, I know, obviously, being a centre-half, you're a little bit at the mercy 
That made it sound like I'm a center half. I know that if you are a center half, you are a little bit at the mercy of what happens in front of you. Uh, and, and I know that for speaking to center halves who have played both in organized and disorganized teams. And, you know, and if obviously if you have Wau Palinia in front of you and you have a team that makes sense, it's easier to be Tim Ream than it was the last time Fulham were up where it was very difficult to be Tim Ream. But he just doesn't look like the same player. There's something that's really happened there. I believe Tim Ream's got a podcast. So uh, is it about football? Is it about is it true crime? Is Tim Ream going, you know, sol- unsolved? <laughs> it's called Indirect with Tim Reeve and Steve Schlanger, who I presume Steve Schlanger sounds like he just missed out on the Ryder Cup team this year. <laughs> but, you know, won the Pittsburgh Invitational, didn't they? Deep dives into the most interesting issues in the world of soccer, which arguably we occasionally do. Don't, don't yeah. we? Um, yeah, so it's someone com- should attempt to do that. Yeah. yeah, Palace are, you know, uh, you've got to feel for Terry Mitchell, don't you, Jordan? Like he looked absolutely disconsolate after that absolutely slightly unfortunate but horrendous challenge. Yeah, he he he, he, he did look um, like a semi-broken man after that. I mean, I, I, yeah, but he, he tried to win the ball, but I don't know how he ended up doing what he ended up doing. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think he knew either. So. Um, that, that, that was unfortunate. I just think it was a general bad day um, for Palace uh, uh, overall. Um, and I hope that it doesn't begin the start of a poor Christmas run that then triggers um, a downward. There's always one team that starts the season quite well and then after Christmas kind of just like falls off a cliff. And I really hope it's not Crystal Palace because I just think, well, they're my local club anyway. And I like Patrick Vieira, A, because I'm an Arsenal fan, but I, I like the job he's done there. So I'd like to see this be the trigger for a kind of downwards, a downward slope of, um, of, of, of form. But um, yeah, I think we should hopefully write it off as a bad day at the office all round. Just briefly on the second sending off, uh, James Tompkins. Uh, Tarek Mitchell did the whole mea culpa shirt over the head, you know, I know I've committed. He kept putting the shirt over his head, didn't he? Like really kept doing it. Like I'm really so sad about this. The opposite of that was James Tompkins' look of absolute innocence of when he'd completely shoved his elbow in the face of a speeding, I think it was Mitrovic, wasn't it? Um, uh, yes. Uh, and that was his uh, his first game since last Boxing Day. Uh, so I'll first start. So unlucky James Tompkins. Yeah, I imagine James Tompkins has done that many times and not been sent <laughs> off for it, yeah. hasn't he? Uh, a word on George Cohen. Um, there was a minute of pause before, I think every game in the Premier League, but obviously a f- complete Fulham legend. Uh, he died on the 23rd of... December, uh, 83 years old, um, played every minute uh, for England in 1966, uh, spent his entire club at Fulham, yeah, 459 appearances between 1956 and 1969, uh, before he retired uh, through injury at the age of 29. George Best called him the best fullback he ever played against, um, and you will have probably read and heard some of the tributes for George Cohen, one of just 11 men to lift the World Cup for England, uh, and... But by all accounts, a truly lovely man and completely grounded and completely understated. And when he talked about his footballing ability, he was clearly super talented and was sort of quite, mod, you know, like an attacking fullback. But he was very much, I just got the ball and gave it to Bobby Charlton. So completely humble about everything that he achieved. And quite extraordinary to win one trophy in your career and that be the World Cup, you know. Um, uh, so uh, our thoughts uh, with his family and, and friends, of course. To St Mary's, Southampton won Brighton 3 um, Nathan Jones first game in charge of Southampton they're bottom now booed off at half time uh, he Jordan has quite a job to do doesn't he 
He does. Um, in our pre- Premier League preview shows, I predicted Southampton would be one of my three to go down. I, I, I think they're a team that over the last four or five years haven't evolved. I actually was a fan of Hazen Hootel, um, but they, they, they didn't really evolve. And I think we're seeing when you don't evolve, you, you, you get caught up and you end up getting caught in the churn. And I, I think they're going to go this year. Um, I don't know what they're about. And, and, and yeah, Jones has got um, a, a big job on trying to galvanise them for a fight that, I, I, as I mentioned, I think they're going to end up losing. And, and this was a game where... <laughs> I, think, I think there was a stat that said that they've had the least amount of players at the World Cup of all the Premier League clubs. I, I, I have to double-check, fact-check that, but... I don't know what they've been doing. <laughs> um, Brighton are a good team, but they, they look like they're all over the place from, from, from the start. So, yeah, they, I think they're in big trouble. Yeah, I'm not sure I can fully agree that they've not evolved. They brought in like eight players in the window in, in the summer. But it, the key is that they went really young. I mean, they were mostly like, uh, you know, 19, 20-year-olds. I mean, very young guys. Uh, and they clearly, I mean, there's been a change of ownership there. Uh, Rasmus Ankelsen, who was a part of the sort of Brentford rise up the leagues, is involved with the club now. I- I'm guessing they're going to try to do a sort of similar to Brentford, sort of let's look at numbers and let's uh, buy cheap and sell high and this sort of thing. And they've gone really young in the market this summer. And and that's dangerous, you know. <laughs> that's that's That can pay off in the long run. And you look at their squad and they have a lot of sort of highly rated young players who could be very good in a couple of years. But but they need to not get relegated in the meantime, and and clearly they're in a in a tricky situation in the in the league, and uh, and yeah, the, the, I I don't disagree that they could absolutely get get relegated. I I just um they, they've taken a big risk in, in terms of the direction they've gone, and also in terms of appointing Nathan Jones. Now Nathan Jones, for the work he's done at Luton, definitely one of those managers who I think deserves a shot in the Premier League. But 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 it's still a bit of a risk to to bring him up uh, into this division uh, when when he's coming into a team that uh, again has a lot of young players and and not a lot of sort of guys who can who can pull stuff along for you and it's 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 tricky. Uh, Solly March's goal was excellent, and that was Adam Lalana's second ever headed goal in the Premier League. A very much a Trevor Brooking. Of, uh, he's having a brilliant season, actually, Lallana, isn't he? Like a lot of these sort of Brighton players, you think, oh, well, that's your career sort of on the slide, Danny Welbeck, etc. But it's nonsense. They've been superb, John. Well, he's always been a, a good player. Uh, and I know that Philippe is a particular enthusiast for Lallana. He's just got that, the, the sprinkle of gifts that we probably don't associate with, it, with an Englishman, funnily enough. A good non-celebration celebration, celebration uh, from him. Two things. Uh, Mitoma did that thing that, we're going to see maybe a little bit of, and it's realised that this guy that was good in the World Cup plays in the Premier League. Because uh, yeah, And um, on the subject of Solly March. Now, I once... Uh, Solly March is one of those players that we must always refer to by both names. <laughs> so I once tweeted out saying, does his mum call him Solly March? And his mum replied to me. <laughs> his mum replied to me. Uh, really? And she said, no, I call him... No, I call him Solomon. So there you go. Ah. Oh. That's wonderful. Yeah, sort of ben- Benicophobia, I feel, is is absolutely in that in that bracket of you must use their whole name. Um uh this was this was one of those uh, if you're in the UK, this was on Amazon Prime, this uh this I just I mean, first of all, I mean, this is my incompetence, but the fact that I clicked on it and it wasn't that I had to scroll through movies, like you know, British movies. 
horror, catastrophe movies, thrillers, box sets, jovial Christmas films. I'm just like, I just really want, I'm late for Brentford's Burst. I just want it right in front of me. I guess, you know, that's just a problem for me. And I eventually found it. And I, I don't know what we what we made of a whole day. I just I prefer Lars not having the choice. Really, I don't like the choice. Yeah, I, I think having three different broadcasters on one league is. I mean, I, I, again, it's something that I struggle a little bit to get my head around. Uh, the fact that you basically have to have three subscriptions to follow a single division that that seems a bit wild. And that's nothing against Amazon or any of the people working uh, involved in their coverage. It's just for me that's that's too much. That's that's not how it should be happening. Mm. And Martin Keown seems to be on telly all day. (laughs) (laughs) Martin Keown is still talking. He's still going. He's still going. It's a tough old gig, you know. I mean, he started at 11 and he was, was he still there at 11 p.m. on a different channel? So there's a real danger that if you open Amazon (laughs) on your computer, you will immediately get Martin Keown (laughs) lamenting the death of defending in the modern game and the scourge of, of, yeah. Justin was in touch to say um, on the subject of draft excluders. As an Antipodean, listening to your Christmas special, I was absolutely shocked to learn that the term draft excluder was in reference to long pieces of fabric you used to keep out drafts, which makes perfect sense, as they're almost surplus to requirements here in sunny Australia. I assumed the footballing term draft excluder was the same as draft dodger, as in the man on the floor is excluded from the responsibility of standing in the firing line uh, of the wall, i.e. the draft. I, I also thought I also thought that on a pod once, and I felt so stu- I felt so stupid. I actually asked you to take it out, which I I mean, if you listen to the pod, you'll know I've sounded super stupid so many times that I don't often ask for things to be taken out. But in that particular time, I did. But it really it kind of works, doesn't it? He is the draft excluder. Well, I, you know? I guess that's why I felt like he's the one who doesn't want to stand in the wall. He wants to sort of hide behind people's legs. Yeah, he's the Donald Trump of this of this. But then again, is war. it worse? Is it better or worse to have your back to it when the shot's coming in and like, either this will wallop you on the back of the head or it won't i mean i think i'd prefer to be facing it uh, as yet a draft excluder i don't think has ever been hit it doesn't mean they're not worth ex- having because obviously it means the player can't roll it under the wall but i think you're in a very safe spot as a draft excluder thank you very much to matt ablett who has made a, a graphic uh, of barry's header as discussed uh, on this year's Christmas special and the previous two as well. He's, he's got Littleton down the left wing, uh, Glenn Denning, horizontal, oh, just standing there with his head and Beaver in goal. So uh, thank you so much. Maybe we'll make a T-shirt of Barry's header. Uh, Coulter got in touch to say, have you seen this, bloody Americans? Uh, an American fan did actually hang a catch by an NFL wide receiver in the Louvre. Well, he actually caught his phone up and it was a... NFL wide receiver Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know, Lars, if he's good or not, but he seems to be very good at catching the ball. Anyway, he stuck his phone up in the Louvre. And I, you know, I have my I have issues about people saying hang things in the Louvre. Speaking of art galleries, John, you did you appreciated this. I went to Amsterdam on a mini break and I saw a painting of uh, Richard Keyes in the Rijksmuseum from uh, <laughs> from the six from the sixteen eighties. Um, it was truly remarkable. It was uh, actually a painting of uh, Michel de Reuter, um, who was uh, uh, that is in Dutch on Wikipedia. <laughs> so that is that's, that's beyond <laughs> my uh, capabilities. Should we have a guess at what he was? That's that's more interesting. Was he some sort of um, 
merchant. I mean, wasn't wasn't everyone a merchant in like sixteen sixty seven? Well, in, in, in well in 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 the in the Netherlands, you'd expect so, yeah. But uh, some sort of dissident nobleman, uh, disgraced and maybe sent to operate in the Middle East. He was a Dutch admiral, widely regarded and celebrated as one of the most skilled admirals in history, Michel Adriazoon de Reuter. He's arguably most famous for his achievements with the Dutch Navy during the Anglo-Dutch Wars. Uh, He fought the English and French forces, scored several critical victories, with the raid on the Medway being the most famous among them. Oh, right, yeah. Dark forces at work. And it was just banter, yeah. Yeah, from merchant to banter merchant is what I was hoping, (laughs) but there we go. There we are. Anyway, we do need to finish with a, uh, an apology. You might remember uh, the World Cup final. Barney Ronnie joined us after the World Cup final from the stadium. Um, we mentioned, I mentioned at the start of his chat, the only place that he could hear us and we could hear him was actually from a disabled toilet. Uh, after the podcast, uh, Liam from the charity Level Playing Field emailed us and said, look, as someone who's a long-time listener, this was a very disappointing thing to hear, especially from a podcast that's gone out of its way to talk about equality and inclusion. For Barney to record in an accessible toilet, no matter how innocent it was on his part, is an act that's damaging effect has a damaging effect on disabled people um it's the only bathroom a disabled person can use we're sure that Barney didn't go into that bathroom to cause anyone to wait but the moment he closes that door he's excluding a disabled person from conducting an act that most non-disabled people take for granted uh, everyone is responsible for making the game accessible and inclusive for disabled sports fans and disabled sports journalists uh, delivering this shouldn't fall on one person's shoulders but should be a collective effort with this in mind we'd welcome the opportunity to talk more about disability uh with you max and barry and the other panelists uh, and how we all disabled and non-disabled have our parts to play to make sure that football is for everyone not the selected few uh it's a really good point that you bring up i mean there are if there are mitigating circumstances and if they count for anything it's that we actually recorded that bit out of time so it was about an hour and a half after the trophy lift we'd finished the pod i waited for barney to finish his piece and even though there was lots of loud music blaring there was actually nobody there in the stadium but I think the way I flippantly said it and no listener would know that we'd done it out of that time sequence so it would give the impression that you know we didn't care where he was but in terms of disability in football access to grounds representation in the media lots of things good things that clubs are doing now um, it's something we haven't really covered in detail on this pod and we plan to do it it's a very fair message that you sent and our sincere apologies Um, anyway that'll do for today's pod uh, we'll be back in a couple of days because the football is relentless, isn't it? At this time, it's always relentless, let's face it. Uh, but for the time being, thank you, Lars. Anytime, Max. Uh, thanks, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Uh, thank you, John. Thanks for having me, Max. Uh, football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian. 